Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Content Director with ACG's Media Group. Today's episode caps off our series focused on family offices, sponsored by RSM US, a leading audit, tax, and consulting firm focused on the middle market. In this final installment of the five-part series, we're going to talk about succession planning and wealth transfer across generations. Succession planning has come up briefly in a few of our previous episodes, so today we'll go even deeper into the topic during a discussion with Tony Wood, RSM's global practice leader for family office. Tony, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Katie, for inviting me. In your work with family offices, are there any commonalities you've seen in terms of how far along they tend to be with succession planning or assumptions they may have about the process? It really runs the gambit. You know, the, the idea of succession planning is very topical right now. We, we see a lot of families that are really intentionally looking as to how best structure what succession will look like. Um, it, it's something that I think many have a lot of apprehension because there's a lot involved. I think with that apprehension, it gets back to looking at what were the driving forces that established the family? What, what's the family constitution? What's the family core values? Things that allow that family to build off the foundation. But we see a tremendous amount of dialogue and effort going into this topic today. Mm-hmm. And on that subject of dialogue, what are some of the things that a family should be talking about or considering when it's creating the succession plan in order for that plan to do what it's supposed to and set the family office up for long-term success? That's a great question. You know, I, I recently, I say recently, I spent the last two years with one family that spent an enormous amount of time making sure they got it right, as they would call it. And we began um, with the family where we had, you know, four different sleeves of decision-making. And what we started to look at were How do they want to drive that decision-making looking forward? And so we came up with a concept of really developing almost a family council, a member of each of those sleeves with two outside independent voices that really began to talk about a couple of things. One is the wealth preservation and continuation. How do we want that decision-making to go? How do we want to handle uh, conflicts and resolution? How do we want to maintain the core values? And what does that look like when you look at core values to philanthropy? And then last but not least is an educational piece. And there was a large want to develop education for the next generations that maybe hadn't been there for the first two generations. And so after roughly around 24 months, we came up with what we thought was a great way of positioning this. Uh, We almost treated it almost like a recruiting of family members, where we did deep interviews, we got into competency, we got into skill sets, so that the patriarch, matriarch, and, and the deciding members of the current family felt comfortable that they had really picked uh, the right blend of competency, the right voices from the family, but they could see this moving into multiple generations. And then last but not least, I think one of the things that is very, very important is control. We find that a lot of families may not be ready to turn over control from Gen 1 or Gen 2, and that sometimes can limit the dialogue around succession planning. And I know that 
Bill Bajessi and, and several others have done a wonderful job of kind of teeing up our process, but we really spend a lot of time talking and making sure that we're listening to the goals, the needs, and where that family wants to go, and then act as a facilitator through that process to help them get to that end goal. No, that's a really interesting point about readiness. So, I mean, we hear so much about the importance of succession planning, but it sounds like there's almost a preliminary step, which is, are you even ready to have that conversation? Correct. And and it's a conversation that can be very awkward. Uh, It's a conversation that can cause a lot of emotion. And anytime you have, you know, emotions that are involved, it's good to maybe have third parties, people that are that that sounding board that can sit inside and say, hear the emotion, understand, but let's try to continue the dialogue in a way that it's productive um, and not something that that really counteracts what we're trying to accomplish here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you should bring up the emotional and fraught nature of some of this. What steps have you seen families take to help mitigate conflict among their members? I think succession planning over the next five to seven years will be the critical element for the transition of wealth, for the transition of what's going on. Uh, I know there's been many great articles written about it. And when you start looking at transition, it's making sure that you understand what are the wishes, wants, and needs of the family, not only today's generation, but you're making decisions about future generations. And so with those decisions, you have to have flexibility that is built into this. And in that flexibility, you want the future leaders to have the ability to make decisions and create a a sense that they have ownership around those decisions. But a lot of times it begins now in helping understand how was wealth generated? What were the critical decisions with Gen 1 and Gen 2 that really propelled the family? Going back and looking a lot of times at even the investment thesis of where the family's investing today, and then ultimately surrounding that next gen with individuals that can help with the decisions and then execute on those decisions uh, that are made. And so succession, you know, it's funny, everyone I think thinks it's a lot easier than it is, but it really does require patience. It requires a lot of honesty. It requires you to lean in and to feel very good with the path. And then ultimately when it's finalized to live with it, and help support the execution of those decisions. And in the first episode of this series, your colleague Christina Churchill walked us through the different structures that are available to family offices. Tony, does the structure of the office, whether it's single, multifamily, or virtual, does that impact succession planning at all? Single family offices really are the core of a lot of the succession discussions that are going on. It is, you know, the uh, single source of wealth, they are maintaining the integrity of the investment, maintaining the integrity of the needs of the family. And so we usually start there as, as a single family office has a lot of different elements going on from staffing to actual day-to-day type of decision-making, and then ultimately directional. Where, where does that family see itself generationally, you know, four, five, six generations down? The multifamily office has been a really wonderful growth element for families over the last eight to 10 years where you're able to start to leverage how services are provided across uh, several families or, or many families. A lot of that leverage allows families to do things that they would otherwise have to staff up to do 
or otherwise may not be in, you know, in, in that level of competency to do that. So we see multifamily offices as a great way to leverage across uh, several families or, or many families. The key in the succession is what's the relationship with the multifamily office? Is that relationship going to continue? What are the things that you want to continue with the multifamily office? Those can all be factored into that single family office, utilizing a multifamily office or the multifamily office trying to solve the needs of a single family office. So it can, it can work both ways. The last piece that we're seeing is the birth of something called virtual family offices, which is really interesting because what, what it's allowing uh, families to do is to basically outsource all of the mechanics, all of the needs that they would have from technology, from, uh, from their investment management, all the way to basically their accounting and bookkeeping can all be outsourced to create this feel of a family office without actually employing or lifting up uh, all of those type of resources. And so we're starting to see that model become uh, very much prevalent with a couple of things, with the convergence of private equity now looking to transition and maybe take a, a position into, into family offices and create a family office. We also see it with the next generation looking to carve out expenses and, and try to look at a, a more efficient way of, of maybe managing the family office. Succession planning, of course, doesn't just apply to members of the family. It's also the leaders and the staff within the organization who may come from outside the family. How should family offices think about or account for risk as they fill key leadership roles? It's funny, one of the uh, conversations I most recently had was the limits we have on finding talent. Um, I've talked to a lot of families that are concerned that being able to replace key members that are non-family members is very real. And so we spend a lot of time talking as to what's the best way to look at talent, keep talent, and maintain a level of retention that's going to be very, very critical as you go through a succession planning. And we're seeing a lot of creative ways that are starting to pop up where looking at how best to take the individuals who are working in the family for the family and tying them into more of how the family invests, tying them into where they've got both an economic but also an upside capability that the longer they're there, the more they are able to be part of the overall family and, and the remunerations that go with that. Um, we spend time also making sure that from a compensatory standpoint that you wanna make sure you understand the heartbeat of everyone that's working with you and for you. Are they happy? What do they need to do? Are they compensated in a way that, that's fair? And then being able to understand what their relationship would be as you start to go into this succession plan. So it's a lot around What's going to be their future role? If not them, then who? Are we grooming or preparing someone behind those current decision makers? And so it's a lot of dialogue, very similar to how many families have run their businesses, you know, where they've had key people or key man type of discussions. Very much the same here when you have high competency and you have a great level of trust with the people you have today. And have you seen any trends in terms of the profile of leaders that family offices are looking for to sit atop the organization? 
funny, we, we, we are seeing a lot more around the legal profession. We're seeing a lot of, of, of attorneys that are being asked to step in and, and to maintain the integrity of all the uh, documents, the execution. We're seeing that. We also continue to see a lot of, uh, of accountants that are brought in to manage as the CFO and, and, and different aspects of it. And then the one trend that is quite interesting is the development of the investment capability. We're seeing uh, different type of investment managers that are being brought into families, whether it's a slant toward alternatives, uh, it may be an industry slant, it may be something where with a source of wealth drove the family to be looking back into those type of industries to continue to invest. But I, I would say that the, the biggest trend right now is we're seeing um, more from the uh, legal profession being asked to step in and lead and run. And we were talking earlier about you know managing the risk of key personnel leaving the organization. Um, but in one of our previous episodes, your colleague Bill Bajessi pointed to an area where families might actually want to encourage risk-taking. Um, Bill talked about a client who'd built the family's wealth by taking risks that led to a successful business ultimately, and that client now fears that perhaps the second and third generations might not have that same drive toward taking risk. How have you seen family offices address these types of concerns? It's a great question, and it's something that um, is very, very topical. One of the things that that we're seeing probably uh, not so much driven domestically as it is in other regions uh, around the world, is families to do carve-outs where they will take next gen and they will do carve-outs to finance for that carve-out something that individual or family member is trying to do with the idea of having that family member demonstrate the risk, the ability to build something, the ability to maintain the growth of a business, and then ultimately what's the exit look like so that it demonstrates success without first maybe turning over the entire reins. And so we're seeing that type of approach where that's been somewhat prevalent. The thing that, uh, I, that I love that, that Bill brings up is, is that next generation, the competency, do they understand the risk reward and how best to position the investment thesis that the family has already established into different types of strategies? And so we also see a lot of families pushing family members into different uh, educational paths, whether it's a CFA or, or, or really broadening out into the investment banking, broadening out into different areas, demonstrate success, and then come back into the family uh, uh, so that you've got the merits of your own career, the merits of your own knowledge being now applied back into the family. So it really runs the gambit uh, on what we see and what we hear there. And I want to close, Tony, by asking you about ESG, environmental, social, and governance factors, of course, is a, a theme that's increasingly coming up as a focus area for family offices. Can you talk about how ESG intersects with succession planning? ESG is, I think, going to revolutionize the way that families and the way that many people will look not only at the way they invest, but the way they align themselves. Um, I think that ESG has really allowed many of the next gen within many of these families to understand the impact and what are the decision making around that impact, the way we invest and the way people are thinking about that investing. 
we think that overall it's in its infancy sometimes because it's not completely understood. And so what we look at a lot is what is the want and the need to maximize the ESG understanding, whether it's on the single investment, whether it's the overall portfolio, or is the family wanting to have an ESG policy across everything that they're doing? The critical pieces of ESG is in the decision-making. What's going to be the way in which you're going to decide how ESG would apply to your investment thesis? What's going to be the way it should resonate and apply inside the family? One of the things that is becoming very prevalent is picking ESG advisors, picking individuals that know it, understand it, and know how to apply ESG to what you're doing. And then ultimately, we are starting to see different technologies that are coming together that give us the ability to look at overall scores, overall ranking of how an individual fund and or an institution ranks as it looks at its goals and as its execution around ESG. This, uh, both from a decision-making and technology, this emergence is going to become very, very important for families. And I think the idea of selecting the right investors, the right technology will become critical. All right. Well, we'll wrap things up there. Tony, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Katie. This episode wraps up our five-part family office series with RSM. If you missed any of the previous episodes, you can find them all on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on the middlemarketgrowth.org website. Our other episodes in the series featured Tony's colleagues at RSM covering family office structure, governance, policy and regulatory changes, and technology. So if you haven't yet, definitely check those out. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard today, please give us a rating and write a review. It really does go a long way in helping other listeners find out about us. This podcast is produced by the Association for Corporate Growth, the largest membership association for middle market M&A and corporate growth professionals. We host networking events across the world. We publish magazines and special reports and much, much more. Learn more about the benefits of membership at acg.org and consider joining us as a member. Last thing, if there is a topic you want to hear us talk about on this podcast, a guest you think would be great, or even if you just have some general feedback you want to share, we would love to hear about it. Please send us a note to editor at acg.org. Thanks again for listening. 